sure. There we go. There we go. We're on, finally. How you doing today? Good to see you. Got a little rain this morning. Uh, brighten up your day. Um, if you're visiting with us today online, we're glad to have you here with us today. I want to say a special hello to room 524 in uh, at the McLean Children's Center where my son is right now. I know that you're going to be, so you won't raise your hand in the middle of the sermon or the worship and say, excuse me, how's Joey? Um, he had surgery last night about 8.30 and was done around 10.30. They put a rod in. He broke his femur, by the way, his right femur, on uh, the third play of the scrimmage the other night. And so 26 hours later, he goes into surgery. They put a rod in, some screws, and, and uh, he could walk out of the hospital today. They're working on his pain and PT, uh, getting all that situated. So uh, anyway, y'all want to say hi to Joey? We've got, we've got congregational mics. Hey, Joey! <laughs> well, thank you so much for all your prayers for Stephanie and Joey and I um, it, and the family. That's been traumatic for all of us, as always, when there's a need in the community. Um, we are family, and I feel that once again. Thank you so much. I want to say a special shout out. Thanks for Virginia for bringing all the snacks and stuff and, and helping us in so many ways. Um, just grateful for good family, good friends, and, and we sure do appreciate you and we certainly feel loved. Uh, in terms of announcements today, there won't be service tonight. I got to go relieve Stephanie um, this afternoon so she can get back, get ready for school. So we will not have service tonight. I want to remind you that we have the Arctic Barnabas Blessing Box uh, shipment that we're trying to get together by the 15th. So if you'll look outside in the foyer, you'll see a list, and there's some things there that you can buy, put in that box, and they'll get shipped around uh, the 15th. Uh, choir meeting is next Sunday night at 5.30. Uh, if you got any questions about that, see James, but he'll be here in the, the usual site. Um, we're still having children's, we still have children's stuff tonight? Okay, so there will be uh, nothing tonight. So you leave, go home and enjoy a good full afternoon nap, um, a nice a nice lunch, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Any other announcements before, before we have our call to worship? Okay, well, I want to read from, before I read, um, I realize that, that um, not all of life is happy and cheery. Um, you know, Friday, that happened to Joey, and then Saturday morning, about 8.30, there was a 7.2 magnitude earthquake that hit Haiti, and uh, y'all know I've been there three times, love to go, love the people, um, but had, Fred had already come through, tropical storm, Fred had already come through, dumped lots of rain, um, now the hurricane, the earthquake happened, and I think Grace is barreling down on him, Haiti's in the cone of uncertainty, if you know what that is, it's possible that the path of the storm can go right over the top of them and add to um, further problems. Of course, the nation is destabilized because the president was assassinated within the last month, and there's just a lot of problems, so we need to pray for them. And also received uh, through social media today a request that churches pray for Afghanistan. Uh, we know that the Taliban has just been let loose to resume their terror, and uh, there are Christians that have received letters from the Taliban saying, we know who you are and we know where you meet, now you need to stop or we're going to put you to death. 
And they have basically said, let it come. So I want to read Psalm 46. And then I want to pray and we'll worship. God is our refuge and strength, a very help, present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father, we thank you that you truly are our fortress. You do not move. We have a solid anchor. When all things give way, we know you do not. You are good and you do only good. We trust you and we love you. But there are times, Lord, when we are reminded that we're not in control as much as we would like to make Afghanistan and Haiti the best places they could possibly be. There are things that are out of our control. They're not out of your control. There's times when we see a loved one hurt and we just, Lord, why? Don't understand. None of this changes who you are, your goodness. Uh, forever we will be able to hold on to the anchor of our soul who is Jesus Christ who sits right now at your right hand interceding for us, being our high priest and our mediator. And he is the one who anchors us in this day and will be our anchor forever when truly there's nothing to, no life's storms that will be able to push us around. One day we'll rally around the throne and worship. And we'll declare his praise and we'll give you glory for all that you've done. Till that day, Lord, sustain us. Sustain us in yourself, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.
this world who is hurting and lost and dying and looking for something that is in control. God, we crown you in our lives as King of Kings and Lord of Lords that absolutely nothing, not a broken femur, not an earthquake, not the rule of angry and terrible men, not a hurricane, nothing has power beyond you. Everything is subject to you, God. We come to you this morning celebrating the fact that we serve a risen Savior who's in control of all things. God, we celebrate the fact that this place that we live in now is not all there is.
children and come forward for the children. Good morning. Hey guys. Y'all know that God created the whole world, right? And after he created the world, he stepped down into the world that he created and became Jesus Christ, right? As a baby. So Jesus was a human, even though he was God. So let me ask you a question. Do you guys have ears? So you think Jesus? Yes, and Jesus was a human, so he had ears, right? What about eyes? Do you have eyes, Walker? Yes, you do. And Jesus had eyes. But here's my question. What about God the Father in heaven? Does he have a body like ours? No. He is a what? He is a spirit. That's right. God is a spirit. And he does not have a body like ours. But here's something that you need to think about. The Bible talks throughout about God's eyes, that he sees us. It says that God looks to and fro all over the earth. He's looking and looking and looking for somebody whose heart is completely sold out to him so that he can support that person. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> it says that God sees us and he instructs us in the way we should go. And yet God doesn't have human eyes, does he? One of my favorite verses is the one in Psalm that says, uh, it, it was David who said, God, you saw my unformed substance. That means even before you were born, even before your moms and dads and grandparents were born, God could see the substance that was going to make you. The molecules and atoms, he could see all of it. And he knew how many days you were going to live before you were ever born. Yes, so God can see, even though it's not with human eyes, God can see man. And I am just thankful that he looks 
to see, he looks and searches all over the earth for someone who understands, someone who seeks after him, someone whose heart belongs, yes, completely to God. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you this morning that uh, you came down into this earth as Jesus Christ, that you were a human that, that uh, people could see and touch and hear you. But, Father God, we just praise you that even though you are a spirit, you do not have a body like ours. Somehow, Father, you see us. You are everywhere. You can see our hearts. You know a word before it's even spoken on our tongue. Father, we just praise you for that, and we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be turned completely toward you, and that as you look across the earth, that you would say, Oh, there is a child of mine whose heart loves me, and I'm going to support that child of we pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Alas, Oh, 
grace because of what Jesus did on the cross. Till the soil of our hearts this morning, Father, and change us. In the name of Jesus Christ, alone I pray. Amen. If you would, please take your copy of God's Word. Turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. While you're turning there, um, I want to let you know that there is a stack of books on the table in the back. Um, if you ever heard of Crossway Publishing, Crossway is the, uh, they're, they're the ones that have um, produced the ESV Bible and all sorts of other things. But there's a book in the back by, written by Dane Ortland. It's called Gentle and Lowly. And the subtitle is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Um, this book has been made free through the gracious donation of Crossway. So we're able to pass this along to you at no cost at all. And I, 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 I just couldn't think of a better time for this book to come uh, because of what I've been preaching through. We've been talking about getting lost been saying some very hard things about how God feels about sin and uh, how lost we are. And this book written by Dane Ortland, now don't let this throw you, okay? He talks uh, from the perspective, or he uses, quotes, some Puritans in here. Now that might, might, might think, make you think, uh, Puritans, they were just lifeless and they didn't enjoy life at all and blah, blah, blah. This is... As much as I've read, it's great. And it talks so much about how Jesus, in his life, wasn't repelled by sinners. He loved them. He wanted to be near them. He wanted to close the distance between himself and them. He had a heart of compassion. He wanted to be around sinful, suffering, broken people. And so when you think about, especially, I, I realize sometimes, um, as much as I try to keep from it, sometimes there's so much theology in what I'm preaching that it can come across as dry. I really believe this will balance out some of this. If there's any imbalance, this is a book that you can find devotionally helpful to you. That you read it and you go, okay, what Brother Shan has been talking about, what the Bible says about Jesus' heart for sinners... I see it. I understand how this fits together. So please pick up one on your way out. Um, the title of this morning's message is Getting Saved, God Became Human. And we're in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Hopefully you've got a Bible and you've opened it uh, to Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Again, this is Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and this is God's Word. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Lord, glorious truths are written here. Um, true truths. Not, they, they really are real that Jesus Christ, for the joy set before him, was obedient. You sent him to earth. You prepared a body for him, as it says in the Old Testament. He took human flesh to himself, um, and he physically lived in a body. And there's so much mystery there, but at the same time, there's so much glory and grace there. And help us to understand it, to receive it, help it to change our lives. Lord, be glorified in our midst today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you may be seated. We have, this is the second Sunday in a new sermon series. Again, last sermon series, Getting Lost. Now, it's Getting Saved. And last week, we talked about where Getting Saved starts from. Where it begins, it starts with God. It's God who purposes to save. In eternity past, God purposed to save. Not only that, he planned to save. He had a real plan. We can see it in the Bible. And in the midst of it all, God had a goal, an ultimate goal. Not only would he save people, but that he would receive great glory for all that he did. Now we're going to take a look at, at Jesus' incarnation, how God became human. Now some of you are already thinking, Pastor, I wish you would have titled that differently. It makes it sound like God in all of his completeness left heaven and took on a human body and there's nobody there in heaven right now. And, um, we're speaking in our own human limitations here, okay? Uh, but at any rate, because of what, what this is, the technical theological term for it is the hypostatic union where humanity and divinity come together. In the early days of the Christian church, people struggled to understand what that actually meant. And, and there were people in the church, discerning people, who understood what was at stake if you compromised on Jesus' humanity or his divinity. And they stood toe-to-toe with heresy, called it out, corrected it, and informed and instructed the church for our benefit and for the glory of Christ. I want to just very quickly show you, these are some charts, and you may it may just gloss over your mind, or you might think, I need to see that again. You know, our sermons are online, you can go to our church website, and all the notes are, are there as well. So here's a heresy that cropped up in the early days of the Christian church. It's known as Apollinarianism. Apollinarianism. You see it shows a human body and a divine nature coming together. The thought behind this was that Christ had a human body, but not a human mind or a spirit. So his, his body was human, but his mind and his spirit were divine. So it, think of it like demon possession. Okay? People don't really become that demon, but that demon takes up residence there. So it's like they were saying that there's, here's God in a body. Right? But the th problem with that is it's not just our human bodies that need to be saved. It's our mind, body, and spirit that needs to be saved. Here's another heresy. It's called Nestorianism. And it describes Jesus as being two persons, two separate persons. There's a human person in a body, and then there's a divine person in a body. 
But nowhere in Scripture is Christ described in two persons or natures. Another one's called Eutychianism. Names back in that day were difficult to, to pick out. Uh, it must have been. These are some strange names for people. At any rate, a guy named Eutychius um, created this heresy. And you see there that there's a small circle, human nature, and then there's this, the bigger circle, divine nature, that they just got together and made something completely different. So you take something human, something divine, and you make something humine out of it. Well, in this way, Christ would na- neither be fully God, nor would he be fully man. So he could not represent us as a man, and he could not uh, die for us and earn our salvation. So it's crucial that we understand the, the incarnation. Here's the biblical view. Now you see there, there's a circle, and it's got F, S, and H, S in it. That's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it, 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 that circle that's got the solid line, that's, that's the Trinity. That is the, the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But there's that dotted line around S for Son, and you see there that there's the divine nature and the human nature coming together in the person of Christ. And here's how we need to understand it. Again, this is all coming from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, just in case you're wondering. Full disclosure. The eternal Son of God took to himself a truly human nature. Christ's divine and human natures remain distinct and retain their own properties, yet they are eternally and inseparably united together in one person. God became human. He is, uh, Jesus is Fully God, fully divine, and fully man. Now you might think, why this theology lesson? We need to know why God became human because it is so important to our salvation. Let's think first about Christ's incarnation. What we understand from Scripture is that the eternal Son of God became the incarnate Son. Of God. Look again at verses 6 and 7. I hope you still have your Bibles open. It says in verse 6, talking about Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. Jesus did not begin to exist on the day of his birth. See, God the Son fully possesses all the attributes of deity and divinity. And one of those attributes is eternality. Just as the other members of the Trinity are eternal and exist outside of time, so does God the Son. Now, Jesus was not created. If you've ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to your door, they'll knock on it and they will tell you that Jesus was created. They'll point to Colossians and say, Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. Well, they misunderstand something. Firstborn isn't talking about um, what we think as uh, Reagan is my firstborn. There's the, the concept of being the firstborn in terms of privilege and position. Now you remember Jacob and Esau, who was born first? Esau, and then Jacob. But, but Esau forfeited his birthright such that even though he was born first in terms of the inheritance, because his father gave him the inheritance, Jacob was the firstborn. That's how we can understand, even though Adam was born first, technically, Jesus was born physically after Adam. Jesus is the firstborn. He has all the rights and the privileges 
that belonged to a firstborn son. So Jesus wasn't created. He didn't begin to exist at conception. He eternally existed as the Son of God. However, at a point in time, what Paul calls the fullness of time in Galatians, the timeless Son of God entered time. The uncreated Son of God entered creation. And God the Son has all the essential properties and common infirmities of our nature, yet he is without sin. How can this possibly be? Well, we have to study a little more. I think we know this. We celebrate this every Christmas. That the incarnate Son of God was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The incarnate Son of God, Jesus, God the Son, became human. Not through natural means, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Go back to Luke Uh, chapter 1, and and, and Mary's going, how can this be? I am a virgin. And she was told that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her, power from on high would come, and the son that would be born to her would be supernaturally conceived. What does this demonstrate? Salvation comes from God alone. It's top down, not bottom up. We could never have done in ourselves what, what God did through Christ. Salvation is God's doing. It started with him, it was planned by him, and it is being worked out by him. But here's another reason why this is important. Jesus did not inherit Adam's sin and guilt. Listen here. We've talked about Adam before. How when Adam sinned, his sin was imputed to all of humanity. All of humanity uh, will die physically. And if they don't receive Christ, they will die a second time in terms of eternal punishment. But Jesus, none of that applies to Jesus. Here's why. First, Jesus never sinned. He never had sin of his own for which he should pay the wages. And that wages, of course, we understand from Romans is death. Yet, had Jesus been born naturally as opposed to supernaturally, if he had been born like you and I are, He would have inherited Adam's sin and guilt. So it wouldn't have mattered that Jesus had lived a perfect life because he still would have inherited Adam's sin and guilt and still would have been worthy of the penalty of death. So this is why it's important that the incarnate Son of God was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary to prove that salvation comes from God alone and that Jesus didn't inherit Adam's sin and guilt. Here's some more reasons why this is important. First, an incarnate son of God, only an incarnate son of God can save. Only an incarnate son of God can save. Here's why. Jesus is the last Adam. Remember the first Adam, he was supposed to walk in obedience and had he walked in obedience, he would have earned eternal life For himself, not only for himself, but for the rest of the human race that would have followed. He failed. Because of his failure, his failure is imputed to all of us who are human beings. So the first Adam caused lots of problems to us, but Jesus is the last Adam. Paul talks about Jesus in this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. He says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. 
Jesus is the second Adam that comes to undo what the first Adam did. That's why in verse 45, Paul says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life, a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Last Adam there is talking about Jesus. This will become more apparent in, in just a bit. But only an incarnate son of God can save. Jesus is the last Adam. Only he could obey perfectly. In order to obey perfectly, Jesus had to have a physical body. But when we think about Jesus' obedience, we think of it in two ways. First of all, there's his active obedience. In other words, um, he fully obeyed the moral law. You know, even people who aren't saved have a moral law written on their hearts. Jesus never, never uh, disobeyed the moral law that is written on everyone's heart, even though we dis disobey it. Jesus fully obeyed the Mosaic law in this sense. He fulfilled it. It all pointed to him. In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his, his son, born of woman, born under the law. That's what he's talking about, the Mosaic law. Born under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Jesus, born under the law, comes and obeys the Mosaic law, fulfilling it. But then Jesus also fully obeyed his father. We're aware of John 3, 16. But John 3, 17, Jesus himself says, that God did not send the Son into the world. If I send Joey somewhere to do something, it means I tell him to go. So Jesus was told by his Father, he was sent by his Father to come to the earth, take on human flesh, and willingly lay down his life. So the first Adam's disobedience is in contrast with the last Adam's obedience. And because Jesus obeyed perfectly in our place, those who are in Christ enjoy the obedience. It's imputed to us, his obedience. It's, on, it's like he obeyed on our behalf and for our benefit that we might have eternal life. And only, only an incarnate son of God can save because Jesus is the lamb of God. Another way that we think about Jesus' obedience, we think about his active obedience and that he lived a perfect life. He satisfied the requirements of the Mosaic law. He obeyed his father. But then also there's his passive obedience, which means it's not that he um, wasn't actively trying to do something. Passive it, it describes his passion on the cross. In other words, his suffering. So for Jesus to experience a real physical death, which he did, he had to be in a real human body. In order for there to be a sacrifice that could substitute for us and atone in our place, that person would have to be human. So Jesus is our representative and our substitute. But furthermore, because he is God in the flesh, I think we can understand only the Son of God could fully pay the penalty for sin. I mean, only he could take the penalty of infinite offense of sin against an infinitely holy God. And he did. He shed his blood. He laid down his life. I hope we understand this. Everybody dies. But that death only satisfies God's justice. It cannot save. But Jesus' death satisfies God's justice and it can save. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He alone could die 
as our substitute. No one else could. Finally, in the, on Christ's incarnation, only an incarnate Son of God can save because He's the living one. He alone was resurrected for our justification. Now, it doesn't say in the text that Jesus was raised, but it's implied because He sits at the right hand of the Father. He was exalted and bestowed. Uh, God has exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. That's what verse 9 says. So He was raised, He ascended, He's exalted. And this is crucial to our salvation. Because it demonstrates that Jesus did, in fact, make full payment for the penalty of sin. If he had not been raised from the dead, when we die, we might be wondering before we pass on, is there anything else that I have to pay? Because if I have to pay it, I'm done for. So Christ's incarnation is crucial to us. But also, Christ's exaltation is crucial to us. The resurrected Son of God became the exalted Son of God while remaining the incarnate Son of God. I want you to understand this. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, fully God and fully human. That's hard for our minds to wrap around, but he, He exists in a human body still. And He is exalted, first of all, in His position. Look in verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him. The Greek there actually means super exalted. It's not as if Jesus wasn't already exalted, but because of what he did in his life, death, and resurrection, and his ascension sitting at the right hand of the Father, God has given him, um, it's like he's been super exalted, but you can't exalt Christ any more than what he's been exalted. Uh, But God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. He's exalted in his position as mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father. He's exalted as our intercessor. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus, do you realize this? When you pray... The incarnate Christ prays to the Father for you. Unbelievable. But Jesus is also exalted as the high priest. Hebrews 8, 1 and 2. says, now that to the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Jesus is our high priest there at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus is exalted. Christ, uh, God exalted his son in position. Then also God has exalted Jesus in worship. Verse 10 says, So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Bowing the knee indicates someone is giving the worship that Christ deserves. Now some of these people, that that day that, that Christ comes and every knee bow and every tongue confess, some of those people are going to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord And it won't be the happiest thing they've ever done. But for us, it's going to be the happiest thing that's ever happened. So from people that are lost and dying, Jesus will be acknowledged as Lord. But you and I will worship him in true glory. So he will receive worship that corresponds to who he is as Christ, according to his earthly life and ministry and his heavenly position and ministry for us. And then finally, in verse 11, we see that Christ is going to be exalted to the glory of the Father. 
Verse 11 says, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you might think, Pastor, we've been doing this a little bit out of order. You didn't start from verse 1 and go down to verse 11. There's method to the madness here. Because I wanted to show us that Christ's incarnation and exaltation are the only hope for transformation. Because the first part of this, these verses, talks about a transformation that has already happened. And then Paul is saying, here's why um, you have been transformed and will continue to be transformed. Because of incarnate Christ who is an exalted Christ. And Christ's incarnation and exaltation are the only hope for transformation. Our transformation is from in Adam to in Christ through the life and death of Jesus. People who accept Christ as Savior and Lord are no longer in Adam. They are now in Christ. They moved from death to life. They formerly were sons of disobedience and now they are adopted sons of God because Christ was raised for our justification. But also... We go from selfish to selfless. This is what verses 1 through 5 is about. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Paul is talking here about the fact that even though we're justified, Christ continues to work in us. He, he lives at the right hand of the Father. He's seated right there. And through His heavenly position in ministry... He does an ongoing work in us through the giving of his spirit and also through his example on earth. So that when Paul says, be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full, of a, full accord, don't do anything from selfish ambition and conceit. Don't look only to your own interest or the interest of, uh, but also to the interest of others. And here's why you can do that. Because there's only hope for transformation through Jesus Christ. And if you have received the exalted and incarnate Christ and have moved from in Adam to in Christ and there is hope for you, you realize sometimes how hard it is to look out for the interests of others and not for your own interests. Anyone else have that problem besides me? It's so hard sometimes. And you think, is there any hope for me? And there is hope. There is a risen and exalted incarnate Christ at the right hand of God who is interceding for me, who has sent me his spirit and has given me an example that I might go from selfish to selfless through Christ. How do we respond to this? Well, I can think of two ways. First, if you are a Christian, and this may be a lot that you've absorbed this morning. You might think, I might need to listen I might need to sleep through this again. Um, I might need to listen to this again. Um, if you need to, I hope that you do because there is a lot here. But the, one of the aims of this sermon series is, is that after having seen how lost we are, that we see how saved we are in Christ. And apart from Jesus becoming human, this God the Son becoming human, there's no hope for us. And perhaps as you have sat here, you've thought, Brother Shane, I didn't realize the connections between the first Adam and the last Adam. You know, how Adam's disobedience was, was devastating to all of us, but, but how Christ's obedience is crucial and important for all of us. I, I, didn't, I didn't get all that before, but now I do. Here's what I hope, I hope happens in your life. 
I hope your heart just overflows with joy and hope and happiness. You are completely, if you are in Christ, you are completely and fully saved. God can do no more than what he's already done in Jesus Christ. And I also hope that you will, you will think to bring all your cares and concerns, all your anxieties. That you'll remember that Jesus Christ, even though he went through all of this for you, he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder because he had to go through it all. He loves you so much. And he wants you to come near to him. He wants you to understand the heart that he has for you. But if you're not a Christian, I want you to understand there is no salvation except in Christ Jesus. Understand, salvation is top down, not bottom up. There is nothing a human being can do to earn salvation. From God. Jesus Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, so that lost men, women, children might go from death to life, from sons of disobedience to sons of God, from lost to found. you want to get saved, it's only through the risen Christ. And so I encourage you today, if you've never received Christ as Savior and Lord, today can be the day. Last week, we had some people respond. I just want you to understand, that's what I'm expecting every Sunday. It doesn't happen every Sunday. But we have a time of response. If you need to make a response, we're going to wait. We're going to be here. We want you to make whatever response you need to make. For God. Let's pray. Father, we could have never thought this up in a million years. In our lowly minds, in our limited understanding and wisdom, we could have never conceived the salvation that you have worked in Christ Jesus. Jesus, in his flawless life and in his flawless obedience, doing what we could not do, yet making available something making something available to us by grace, something we could never earn. What else can we say but maybe put our hands over our mouths and hit our faces? Or maybe we just open our mouths and all that we want to come out is joy and praise for what you've done for us. It could be that there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that their heart would be moved through Jesus Christ. That they would be, that you'd regenerate them, give them the faith they need in order to make the decision that they need to make. Lord, we trust you. We know that you're bringing people to yourself, and we pray that you do that today. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to sing, Oh, How He Loves You and Me. I want you to stand and sing, because this is true. He gave His life. What more can He give? He loves us.
that's true. Um, I can imagine that everyone at some point in their life has said, why in the world would Jesus love me? Why? I can assure you he does. Scripture says that he does. Christ in his own words loves sinners. Came to seek and save them. I want to encourage you. Um, you know, I realize sometimes uh, my sermons can be dry. I assure you that book's not dry. If you have trouble understanding that Jesus has a heart for lost and broken and sinful people, that book will help you so much. I pray that you'll take it, read it from cover to cover, and let it minister to you. Um, before we have a time of, before we um, uh, say the Great Commission together, I just want to pass along a few things. Just continue to pray for Joey. Um, we're having, uh, he, believe it or not, he could walk out of the hospital after having broken his femur. Um, and so that just blows my mind. But pain and PT, we need to get pain under control where he can do PT. And once we get that going, that'll, that'll help a lot. Pray for Ben um, Campbell. He was supposed to come this weekend. Had told me that he was excited about coming. Unfortunately, it was hurting so bad, wasn't going to make the trip. Um, continue to pray for the nation of Haiti. Uh, pray for Afghanistan. Uh, there's just so, so much to pray for in the world. But um, any other announcements or, or prayer requests before we go? All right, well, let's say the Great Commission together and we'll be dismissed. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end 